If you've been here since the beginning of July, we have been in missions month during this month. So we've been focusing on missions for the entire month of July uh, for five weeks. Today is the fifth and the last week. The first week I talked about how um, the heart behind missions is like we, we see in 2 Kings, where there are these lepers who were starving to death because Samaria was besieged by another army. And when they went out to the camp, of the other army, it was deserted and they were eating and they were feasting and they said, this is not right. There's so much food here. We need to go and tell others about this good news and how that's a picture of the gospel, that we found something so good that we cannot help but share it with other people because it, it, there's enough for the whole world and we, that's the heart behind missions, to let others know about what's going on in the, in the gospel. And then the second week, Pastor Joel King from Trinity came and talked about loving our neighbors from the parable of the Good Samaritan and how important it is that we are to love our neighbors in a way that's sacrificial and also for the long term, like the Good Samaritan did, in, in caring for that Israelite who was wounded on the side of the road and saying to the innkeeper, hey, if there are any other costs associated with taking care of him, let me know and I'll pay it when I come back. So caring for our neighbors is something long term as well and sacrificial. And then the third week, Pastor Mark came and talked to us about evangelism and also justice and caring for the needs of those around us. And he challenged us to, to share the gospel even at least just once with those in our lives, at least once, letting them know the good news that we know and that we have in our lives. And I think that was a very stirring challenge. And then last week, Pastor Joshua Kim, the Seattle church planter, talking about how planting churches why is it such a wonderful thing? Why is it the best way for the gospel to go forth? Is because the church displays the manifold wisdom of God. That's why we love church planting. That's why we're going to Seattle and we're going to Dallas and hopefully many other places around the world as well so that people can see a community that displays the manifold wisdom of God and want to be a part of that. And today, lastly, I'm gonna be concluding with Isaiah chapter 49 verses one through six as we finish out missions month here. And uh, it's very interesting. Dave, as he was leading worship, he referred to Isaiah six, which I am gonna refer to here because the, the book of Isaiah is, is huge. It's uh, 66 chapters, if I remember correctly. It's the longest prophet, prophetic book in the Old Testament. And it's super important, but obviously it's so big. There's no way that I can talk about all of it or recap all of it while I'm up here, but um, Isaiah 6 is a very famous passage where we see that Isaiah was called by God to be a prophet to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel were straying away from God. They were worshiping false gods, the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the uh, Molech, all these other gods. And Isaiah was called by God to go and speak God's word to them to call them back to him. And if you remember from Isaiah 6, those famous words, when God says, who shall go for me? And as Isaiah is in this vision of this throne room of God, Isaiah says, I will go, send me. And he gets sent as a prophet to the people of Israel, particularly to the southern kingdom of Judah and to Jerusalem to call them back to God. So listen to what he says here in chapter 49. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. 
He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, that certainly sounds like an apt and fitting description of Isaiah. He was called by God to be a prophet. He says, God made my mouth like a sharp sword. Why? Because he was a prophet. He spoke God's word. Words, his mouth, that was his profession. That was his ministry. That's what he was called to do. And he was speaking not just his own words, but he was speaking the very word of God to the people of Israel. So his words were like a sharp sword meant to pierce their hearts about coming back to God. Now, there's a problem with this, however. This sounds like an incredible calling. Isaiah sounds like an elite prophet made for the task. However, he failed. He failed. Again and again and again, Isaiah in in so many chapters of his book, calls to Israel and says, return to God. Stop straying from him. Avoid the judgment of God, which will come if you continue to stray from him. Return to God with all of your heart. Come back to the Lord. But they wouldn't listen. Even though Isaiah said, the Assyrians will come as God's judgment if you don't return. And then the Babylonians will come as God's judgment if you don't return. And the people didn't listen. And what happened? They eventually went into exile. First, the northern kingdom of Assyria fell. Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel fell when Assyria came and invaded them. And then later, the southern kingdom of Judah fell when the Babylonian empire came and invaded them and took thousands upon thousands of them into exile in Babylon. It seems like all of Isaiah's work was in vain and for naught. This is why in verse four, he says this, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Listen to Isaiah. It's it's the words of somebody who feels so defeated, so broken. I've labored in vain. I did all this work. I I was there prophesying to a people who hated me. I dealt with persecution and suffering for the name of the Lord. I did all of that for decades, decades of prophetic ministry. And what happens in the end? They don't listen. And the judgment that God warned them about has come upon them. Man, what was this all for? This is for nothing. And vanity. And then, like a, a, a good, solid believer in the Lord, he says, though, to comfort himself, surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. In other words, he's saying, but I know at least God knows what I did. God sees my faithfulness and he will reward me for all of those years of faithful ministry, even though it ended up as nothing and nobody listened, none of the Israelites. And they turned away from God and his judgment came. At least God knows and he'll reward me. Isn't that how we often console ourselves when we feel 
like what we've done for the God, for, for the Lord, was for nothing or was unfruitful. Now, here is how God responds to Isaiah. And now here's where things get interesting. Remember, verse 4, Isaiah's feeling really down about himself. He says, well, at least God knows what I did for him. He will reward me. Verse 5, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the, in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This is what God says. This is what God says in that moment. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, if I were Isaiah, I would find that very, very surprising. Here I am, spent decades of ministry trying to reach this tiny nation, small compared to India, China, or whatever big countries there were 2,000 years, thousands of years ago, but small. The nation of Israel is a small place. There's Isaiah speaking the very words of God for decades to this small little people out in the Middle East, and they would not listen to him. They said, no, Isaiah, no, 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 you're wrong. And Isaiah felt like a failure, like everything he was called by God to do didn't amount to anything. I give up, God. It didn't work. Nothing happened. And then God comes and says to Isaiah in that moment of failure, you know what? It is too light a thing. It is too small a thing that you just be my servant to call Israel back to me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you a light for the nations, for the whole world, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well, for the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the people and other continents halfway around the world so that my salvation can reach to the ends of the earth. He, he comes to Isaiah and he doesn't say, yeah, throw in the towel, Isaiah. Good job, you were faithful. Let's go into prophetic retirement and, and go to the prophetic, uh, you know, a senior assisted living home and just ride out the rest of your days and just relax. He says, no, I'm gonna make you a light for the nations, even the Gentiles. Can you imagine Isaiah, they're saying, Gentiles? Gentiles? You talking about Gentiles? Gentiles? I'm trying to just to win one Jew to the Lord. This is the first meme I've ever made. <laughs> and I know that it is falling upon deaf millennial and Gen Z ears, but go home, go to YouTube and type in Jim Mora playoffs and you'll, it's a classic. It's perfect. It's perfect. I say it's like Gentiles. I can't even win a Jew. One Israelite. And you're talking about Gentiles? You want me to go out there to the ends of the earth? Now, here's where, where things get really interesting as well. Now, the plot thickens as we look at the book of Isaiah. So let's zoom out here for one moment here. And this is a diagram here, courtesy of the Bible Project. 
If you've never heard of the Bible Project, they make these awesome short videos, illustrated videos that summarize books of the Bible. They have a great two-part one on Isaiah, and this is their, their diagram of what's happening in the book of Isaiah. And I know you can't see the details here, but you could probably see this word exile here in the, in the center. Now, the interesting thing about the book of Isaiah is that chapter 1 through 39, these chapters, the first um, roughly two-thirds of the book or so, it's Isaiah saying to the people of Israel, turn back to God or else judgment will come. Stop worshiping false gods. Return to him while you can or else judgment's going to come. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, it's Isaiah warning about what was going to happen. What happened? The people didn't listen. The Assyrians came, and then the Babylonians came, and the people were taken into exile. Thousands upon thousands of them were brought into Babylon to live there and die there. Isaiah chapter 40 to 66, however, suddenly in those chapters, Isaiah begins to talk about the future, about a post-exilic world, talking about the world of, of Israel after the people have come back out of exile. He's talking about the time of, of Ezra and Nehemiah coming back after the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian Empire, and then King Cyrus told the Israelites to get up and go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild it. And Nehemiah went and rebuilt the wall, and Ezra reinstituted following the law. All those things were happening here, but the problem is, this was probably a couple of hundred years after Isaiah was long dead. He's long gone. So he's talking about the future here. So the interesting thing is, if he's talking about the future, who is he really talking about then? in verses one through six. It can't really be him. Isaiah's dead. He has no ministry to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. He had a ministry to Israel. It, they didn't listen and he died. So who is this that is being sent to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, that they would come and worship God? Who is this in verse three, of whom God says, you are my servant? Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Who is this servant who also seems in some way to represent Israel, to be an embodiment of Israel, but is also not Israel because Israel needed to be brought back to God? Who is this mysterious servant that Isaiah was talking about in the future? I think many of us know the answer to that. And the answer to that, of course, is Jesus, is our Lord Jesus Christ, who, like the servant in Isaiah 49, was also rejected by his own people, the Israelites. He was a Jew. He was sent to the Jews, but he was rejected by them and ultimately crucified. It looked like the biggest failure the world had ever seen. And people mocked him. They said, hey, he, he could save others. Why don't he save himself? They mocked him. They laughed at him. What a failure. But what they didn't realize was that failure ultimately was for the forgiveness of sin of everybody, Jew and Gentile, who would come to Jesus and bow the knee and declare that Jesus is Lord and the only way to salvation and back into relationship with the Father. 
This is why Jesus said in John 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, literally lifted up upon a cross, will draw not just you, but all people to myself. By being lifted up upon a cross, it would go to all nations. Everybody would be able to have access to relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. It says of him in Revelation 5, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Every tribe, language, people, nation. This is what Jesus' death was meant to do, to ransom, to buy back people, not just Jews who would believe in him, but people in South America, people in China, people in Russia, people in Africa, people all over the world. He died to ransom them through his death and resurrection for all those who'd believe in him. Isaiah's prophecy of rejection that ultimately led to something bigger, to the salvation and light unto the nations, was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who was Israel, who represented Israel, who was the perfect Israel, who Israel was supposed to be but failed to be. He was the true Israel who obeyed the word of God and was a worthy sacrifice so that we could experience forgiveness. Now, the interesting thing is, the plot thickens again, it doesn't just end there with what Jesus did. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, the apostles Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey after being sent out from Antioch. And it says this, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and he's quoting Isaiah 49 here, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So what Paul and Barnabas do here is really fascinating. Not only was Isaiah 49 applicable to Jesus and what he did in dying upon the cross and opening up the doors of salvation for Jew and Gentile alike, but Paul and Barnabas, as they were on their first missionary journey and they went into the city and they, and they preached the gospel to the Jews and they experienced rejection from the Jews as well, something clicked in them and they said, ah, Isaiah 49, this is what we are experiencing. The Jews are rejecting our message, so we should take this message to the Gentiles. That's what Isaiah was saying all along, and they began to speak the word of God to the Gentiles. And you know what happened in the life of Paul. He went all over the Mediterranean, into Asia, and ultimately over to Rome, where he died and was beheaded for the gospel. He went to Spain. He went to all of these different places, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He realized that this also applied to the church. The church, through their rejection by the Jews, began to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Jesus opened the way. 
the church began to bring the message. And now today, for 2,000 years, we as the church still are continuing the work of Isaiah 49. Because Jesus said of us in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. All of us, as we continue, we we continue in this work for the past 2,000 years of bringing the gospel message to the Gentiles. This is a continuation of Isaiah 49. Isaiah prophesied about the future. Jesus fulfilled it upon the cross. Paul and Barnabas and the early church began to bring the message to the Gentiles. And us today are still doing that work of bringing the gospel message to the ends of the earth. We know it well in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission when Jesus said to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission that God has given us. This is something that we continue doing and fulfilling to this day for the past 2,000 years. We are in continuity with Acts 49, brothers and sisters. Now, the thing that, so with that as the understanding of, of the, what we are a part of right now, I think we can understand why Isaiah, why God said to Isaiah, it is too light a thing. Isaiah, you're thinking too small here. This is not just about the Jews, the nation of Israel. You're thinking too small. The early church thought too small as well. They thought, what? The Gentiles are receiving the gospel? No way. What's going on? We thought the Jews were the people of God alone. No, it's always been about something bigger. And God says to Isaiah, it's too light a thing. It's too small. The word light here in the Hebrew, it means to be trivial, to be or become of little substance or significance. Isaiah, if you were to just focus upon the people of Israel, that is so small because I am a God who is so much bigger than that and my vision is so much bigger than that. It is for the ends of the earth. What is the application for us, brothers and sisters? I think you know, as we're closing out Missions Month here, it's simply this. If your life's vision is not connected to the Great Commission, to bringing the light of Jesus to the ends of the earth, then your life vision is too small. It's too small. You're living too small. If our church's vision isn't connected to the Great Commission, if we're just happy coming together and being a holy huddle and singing kumbaya and just having some other nice, wholesome Christians to be able to go find a new restaurant to eat in or, or, or talk about the shows we've been watching and just have some friends. If that's our church's vision, it's too small. It's too trivial. It's too light. God has called us to be a part of something so much bigger than that because God is a God who is so much bigger than that. He has called us to be a part of bringing the gospel 
to the ends of the earth, to being a light for the nations. Look at God. God is so big. He's so much bigger than what we think. God's plan was always big. In Genesis 1.28, he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's original plan for Adam and Eve and for humanity was to fill the entire planet and as his representatives to rule over the earth as we were made in the image of God to be his vice regents, to rule in his behalf over the entire planet. God had a big plan. God's love is big. John 3.16, you know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love is so big. His son's love was so big. His death was to open up the doors for all the world to be able to enter into a relationship with God. God's glory is big. Habakkuk chapter two, he said this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk realized and he saw that the glory of God is such a magnificent, glorious, huge thing. Our God is so glorious, so uncontainable. His glory must fill this earth. His glory, he deserves for his glory to fill this earth, for all the earth to recognize how glorious he is and the bow to knee to him. God's glory is so big that we need to bring the knowledge of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. We have a big, big God with a big, big plan, who has a big heart filled with love and he has glory that is so big that he invites us to be a part of. And if your life, my life, our church is not connected to that, we are living too small. We may think that we're living big, we may have big dreams or, or goals of what we want to do in this world and society, and maybe you're an entrepreneur or you're a scientist or you're very creative, but none of those visions and dreams, if they're apart from God and what he's doing in this world, are big enough. John Piper, he put, the, he put it this way about why missions is so important and so huge. He said, it is vastly greater than the challenge of stamping out all disease. For the consequences of our failure are infinitely worse than that failure would be. It is vastly greater than the challenge of bringing literacy to all peoples because it includes that since one goal of discipleship is reading the Bible and goes beyond it to the infinite results of believing what is read. It is vastly greater than the challenge of ending all war because there are greater and worse hostilities against mankind than those that come from armed combat. It is vastly greater than the challenge of feeding all the hungry in the world because it addresses that and goes beyond it to the hunger that leads to starvation beyond death. It is the greatest, biggest, hugest vision that you can be a part of. And God calls you, he invites you to participate in this. Brothers and sisters, don't sell yourself short. If your vision doesn't include this, the great commission and the glory of God spreading over the earth as the water covers the seas, your vision is 
too small. And when our vision is too small, it leads to small living. Our problem isn't that our vision is too big. Oftentimes, it's our vision is too small. It leads to small living. If we do not have this this vision of God and of his glory that needs to be spread all over this world, why would I ever get up and move from a place like the Bay Area and move to some other place in the world where the quality of life is not as good? Why would I ever do that? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to sacrifice and suffer? Why in the world? My, I'm the son of immigrants. They came to America from another country many years ago so that I could have a better life. Why would I ever want to reverse that and go somewhere else where my quality of life was not as good? It would not make any sense unless your vision of God was big enough to lead you to sacrifice and to say it's worth it. It is worth it. When we have this small vision of life without the glory of God, we become myopic. All we can see is what is right in front of us. Without this big vision of God, all we see is what's around us. And what do we see? Oh, that person's got a better job than me. I wish I had that. Man, that person's got a better looking boyfriend or better looking girlfriend than me. I wish I had that. That person's life seems like they're on the path, fast track to success. Man, I feel so behind compared to that person. And you're going to end up becoming enslaved to keeping up with the Joneses for the rest of your life if that's all you see around you. But if you could lift yourself out of that and see this grand vision of the greatness and the hugeness and the awesomeness of the love and the glory of God, you would say, that is so silly. That is so myopic to focus upon those things. You'd be able to say, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who lived in tents, Hebrews tells us, and they didn't build the city, even though all the people around them were building cities with nice walls and they were secure and they had homes made of stone and maybe little fireplaces and check out my little den here in my stone home. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were just living in tents. And they're like, no, we don't need that. Why? The author of Hebrews says, because they were looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They saw something so much better, a city so much better They said, nah, that's okay. Tents are good for us. We don't got time to go and build the city. Our focus is upon the city that God is building. When our vision for God becomes bigger than the myopia of what we find ourselves in, and we can rise above that and see the great call that God has placed upon our lives and what he's invited us to, it sets us free from small living. The problem isn't that we're living too big or your vision's too big. It's too small. God has called us to something so much bigger. You know, sometimes we may, we may say, you know, kind of like Isaiah in 49, right? Oh, Lord, I've, I've tried sharing the gospel with people. I've tried sharing the good news with, with some coworkers and friends, and, and they don't listen. You know what? Maybe I'm just no good at this. Maybe I'm, I'm not meant to be somebody who shares the gospel with other people. Maybe I should scale back. I should just reduce what I'm doing. No. God says, no, I've called you to be a light unto the nations. Actually, I want you to be involved in something bigger than that. I want you to be connected to the great commission. Maybe not as a Billy Graham evangelist. Not everybody's called to that, 
but whether through prayer or giving or going, I've called you to be a part of the Great Commission. As a church, if our vision is too small, if we don't get this as well, churches, we just end up competing with other churches. It just becomes about territorialism, tribalism, putting each other down rather than helping each other up. But if we saw the the world and this great commission that God was calling us to, we would realize that we don't have time to do that. The vision that God has given us is so big, we need everybody to be a part of it. I love this uh, website. If you haven't checked it out, uh, joshuaproject.net. I know you you can't see this well. Man, we, we need a better projector. If you've never been to this website, it tracks the work of the Great Commission. And according to joshuaproject.net, the way they do it, they say there are 17,000 people groups in this world, tribes, tongues, and nations. They say out of those 17,000, about 7,400 of them are unreached. They do not have a sustainable gospel work there. And that... Those, that 42% represents 3.3 billion people in this world. Now, if the churches, of all churches, recognize that that's what God called us to be a part of, there wouldn't be time for competition over this person or that person or this little area of the Bay Area. We would realize how much we need each other in reaching the world for the gospel. JoshuaProject.net breaks it down further. He says out of those 7,400 unreached people groups, actually about 4,800 of them are what they call frontier people groups, which is like there's practically nothing going on there. And most of them are in the 1040 window, and they represent about 2 billion people in this world. Brothers and sisters, this is what God has called us to be a part of, to bring his glory to every one of these tribes, tongues, and nations, and people groups. And the the Bible isn't trying to give a definition of what's a people group, how much does the language have? That's not the point. The point is God's vision is big. It's for the world. And he wants all of these peoples to know about him and to hear about him. And you have the privilege of participating in that. It is the greatest vision and mission that somebody could receive. And he is inviting us to be a part of that. We need a bigger vision. Not only does God invite us to this, but in Acts 1.8, it also says that he has given us power to be able to fulfill this vision. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, how big is your vision in your life? God has called us to be the light unto the nations. So what are some action steps? I want to leave you with a few action steps here before we we close, before we pray. I want to make this practical for you. Um, We are a church that is growing in missions. We don't do it perfect, but we're learning. We want to be a part of this, and we hope that you will want to be a part of this as well. Let me give you a few things that you can do in order to be a part of this. First of all, for example, Amy, she talked about the Guatemalan short-term mission trip. Consider going on a short-term mission trip with us, whether to Guatemala in November or future trips. Um, We usually have more. COVID has really curtailed that, but we usually have more mission trips. And 
and see what God is doing in other parts of the world and how big God is. And many people's eyes have been opened up to a bigger God by leaving our bubble, our comfort zone, to see what God is doing in other parts of the world. Step out of your comfort zone and go on a short-term mission trip. Get involved with local love. That is a ministry in our church. Amy talked a little bit about that too, where we are seeking to be a neighbor to those around us, to be the light, not just on the other side of the planet, but also right here in Sunnyvale in the Bay Area. Be a part of that. Check out what we're doing in sharing the light of Christ and and loving long-term as well, as Pastor Joel told us, our neighbor around us, sacrificially and in a committed way. AMI also, I've never talked about this before, but AMI also has one-year internships in mission fields and churches around the world. We send people, we train them to go and to support one of our mission fields, one of our churches in different places around the world for a year. For you to be able to help the missionaries and pastors in those places because they need help. And also for you to be able to experience what it's like um, being somewhere, not just for one week or two weeks, but for a year, for a year of your life to see what God is doing around the world. If you go to our website, you can see more information about this. The application period is coming up this fall. And then there's a year-long process of getting ready and then being sent out um, to the mission field. Consider that. You can go to AMI churches, goingami.com to be able to learn more about that. If you're interested in that, come, come talk to me as well. You can give as well. When you give to our church financially, part of what we do with the finances is we support the work of missions around the world. Whether it was like Stephanie Moon last week, last week talking about the Renewal Computer Lab that we have funded down in Coban, Guatemala, as they are educating the kids down there and reaching them with the love of Jesus. Or uh, perhaps it's about uh, our local love initiatives where we are doing things here in the Bay Area to care for others with the love of Jesus. Or even just recently, we, uh, uh, Hannah, Hannah um, Chung from Radiance Christian Church up in San Francisco, our sister church, who is in Romania, told us about a need in Ukraine. There's an orphanage in Western Ukraine that is over capacity with orphans because of how many kids have lost their parents and they've been asking for help and the Christians and the pastors there have been asking for help and we've donated money towards buying Wi-Fi internet routers so that the kids will be able to go to school and the churches there are supplying that to the orphanages there to show them the love of Jesus. Through giving as well, we can spread the light of Christ. And lastly, you can pray. Even if you can't or don't end up going to some frontier people group around the world, although I hope there would be people amongst us who would do that, you can pray. Prayer is the fuel of world missions and of the gospel going throughout the earth. Even if you have a newborn baby and you're just, you can't even get out of the house while you're taking care of your child, you can pray for God to reach the people in the 1040 window and for people to come to know the Lord. You can go to a website like operationworld.org, which will give you guides every day for praying for different people groups around the world that are in need of the gospel and a witness. You could pray for those things. 
Pray this week for our MI Missions Conference, as I mentioned before. Pray that God would move so powerfully this weekend that our missionaries would be refreshed, that people would be so challenged and encouraged, and that more people would have a deeper heart and catch a vision for what God is doing around the world. There are many things that you can do. The challenge is, will you take a step to begin to elevate your life out of the myopia of just looking at what's around us and seeing, wow, God is such a great God. Jesus died for the world so that the world can have access to salvation and forgiveness. And I want to be a part of this great commission work that God has called us to. Let's pray together right now. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Um, Can we first take a moment right now. I want to invite you to pray and to consider your own life. Have you been just caught up in the everyday? And, and you know, we live in a hectic place, right? The Bay Area, Silicon Valley, a lot, lot of stuff going on here. And, and sometimes even just, not just work, but life as well. Kids and thinking about finances and We get so caught up in all of these things that they have become our vision in life. Our vision in life has become maybe buying a home or or giving our kids a good education or or moving up at work. And, And not that any of those things are bad, but God is calling us to something bigger than that. Why don't we take a moment first right now to come before the Lord. And I just want to encourage you to take a moment to pray here and to pray and to ask God, Lord, you know, is, are you calling me to something bigger? Lord, have I, have I gotten caught up in, in these everyday things and have I lost sight of this bigger vision? Would you open my eyes to see you, a bigger God? Isaiah, it was when he saw the glory of God that he said, I will go, send me. When he saw the glory of God. Would you pray, Lord, would you show me more of your glory? Would you show me more of how big and awesome you are and how precious the blood of Jesus is that I would be willing to say, I will go or I will pray or I will give or I will go for a week or I will go for a year or I will learn more about missions or, or I will encourage those who do. I will, I, I will be a part of that. Let's take a few moments right now. Why don't we just, just pray quietly in our hearts and just bring our hearts before the Lord right now. Say, God, Would you give me a bigger picture of who you are? Help me to see. I can't manufacture anything. Certainly me as a pastor, I can't make anything happen in your hearts. But if you see a clearer picture of God, he himself, he's captivating enough. He's captivating enough to change the way that we live. So let's just come before him. Just bring our hearts before him for a few moments right now. and Say, God, Would you open my my eyes? Help me to see you a little bit bigger, a little bit clearer this day so that my heart will be on the same page with the vision that you're calling me to. Let's, Let's pray together. 